When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. You're tuned into The Family with Tom Bernard. Tom is off filling in. I'm Dave Schrader. Along with me... Andy Brant Bernard. And Cassie Schrader. It's a musical day here on it The is? Family. We've got Mike Lennox coming up to discuss The Carpenters, the musical legacy. Next hour, Perry Richardson from Firehouse and Striper will be joining us on the program. Stay tuned. That's next right here on The Family. Tommy, I never believed it until now, but apparently you're a pretty big deal. Well, is there ever a question in your mind? Well, you might say I was a doubting Thomas. See what I did there? Yes, how incredibly clever. Anyway, what's your point? Well, last month I was trying to find you a car to replace the Mafia Mobile and suggested leasing a Nissan Altima as it was impossible to find your first choice. I love that Altima, and I'm actually looking forward to checking out the all-wheel drive as soon as it's known. Well, apparently someone at Nissan was listening to us, and at this month, at Coon Rapids Nissan and Burnsville Nissan, we can offer short-term 18-month leases. That's actually pretty smart. By then, the chip shortage will be over, right? Man, I hope so. The only chip shortage I want to hear about is Bilski dumping one into the bunker. By the way, for the first time ever, Coon Rapids Nissan was number one in the state, and Burnsville was number two. Your Altima was actually one of the cars that put J-Lo on top. To learn more about short-term leasing, stop into Burnsville Nissan or Coon Rapids Nissan. Michael Bryant, Brad Sean. Bryant, what's the latest? Uh, we're just trying to represent people who have been injured through no fault of their own. We're trying to talk to them before they talk to an adjuster or before they take a settlement that isn't something they should get based upon their injuries. How many people are out there in different, not in the law business, that love to run around scaring people before you even get to them? Well, adjusters will want to settle cases right. and they want to close files. So based upon that, they do what they have to. Um, I think there's a lot of circumstances where they probably act as attorneys where they're not attorneys and they try yeah. to explain people's rights or they give them a certain view that if they look at it. And what I always say is this, if the adjuster really truly thinks the offer they made makes sense, they'd have them come see us. You know? And that's exactly my question is you have to understand who has the best your best interest in mind correct well you want to know what your rights are you know whether yep. or not you decide yep. you're going to hire us or not that's a choice it's a free consultation and you want to understand what your all your rights are and what coverages you have and plus the fact i hang out with you so you got to be a good guy <laughs> if i'm hanging out with you uh, maybe <laughs> uh, okay ladies and gentlemen michael bryant bradshaw and bryant We're back. This is the family. Tom Bernard still dealing with COVID. Thankfully, he has gotten the all clear, so he will be back next week heading up the podcast and the KQ Morning Show. We will be talking with our guest in just a few moments. 
I love this headline that just came out. Alec Baldwin says he didn't pull the trigger in the fatal rust shooting accident. Alec Baldwin, in a new interview, that uh, says that he didn't pull that trigger on the gun that killed cinematographer Helena Hutchins on the New Mexico set of Joel Souza's Rust. Well, the trigger wasn't pulled. I didn't pull the trigger. The actor tells journalist George Stephanopoulos in a clip from an upcoming interview shared by ABC News, I would never point a gun at anyone and pull the trigger at them. Never. Someone put a live bullet in the gun, a bullet that wasn't even supposed to be on property. So that's the beginning of his statement. So he's trying to deflect again that the live bullet... Well, but bullets can't fire themselves. Right, and you know if you take one in your hand and throw it at somebody... Much yeah. less effective towards yeah, killing that is, them. That yeah. is very true. In another moment during the interview, Baldwin explains he's been thinking a lot about how things could have gone differently. I think back and I think of what I could do now, he explains. She was someone who was loved by everyone who worked with her and liked by everyone who worked with her and admired. I mean, even now I find it hard to believe that she's gone. It just doesn't seem real to me. It was previously reported that Hutchins died from being accidentally shot in the chest after Baldwin allegedly fired a gun containing a live round. It was revealed at the time the film's assistant director had told Baldwin, cold gun, which is often used as a code word on set to confirm the prop gun is safe to use. Following the incident, Baldwin issued a statement on social media saying he was fully cooperating with the police investigation. Hutchins was only 42. While the investigation is ongoing, it was revealed shortly after Hutchins' death that uh, half the crew, uh, half the, that half a dozen rather crew members left the Rust film set just hours before the accidental shooting in protest of poor working conditions. Among the complaints was a lack of safety meetings on the film set, which resulted in at least three other misfires during filming. In the wake of Hutchins' death, the boys showrunner Eric Kripke vowed to never use guns with blanks in any of his projects moving forward. Someone hurt or killed on my set is my worst nightmare. Sending love to Helena Hutchins' family. Uh, So, obviously a tragedy. I don't know what Baldwin thinks he's going to accomplish by saying that he didn't pull the trigger. It is a weird... I mean, it almost sounds like he's suggesting that someone put a bullet with, like, a fuse in the gun... So the bullet would fire itself after the fuse went out, which I guess physically is possible. But it's also kind of a coincidence that he was pointing it at someone just as the fuse burned down. Right. It, that sounds very it doesn't, uh, doesn't Wiley make, Coyote to Yeah, me. exactly. Yeah. Well, and you know I what it sounds know that like? that Acme bullet would fire right. itself. This, this is what it sounds like to me. And I, I'm, I'm not taking a political stance one way or another. This sounds like Alec Baldwin doing Donald Trump. In his explanation, mm-hmm. yeah, right, because Speaking his explanation things that he well, has the no trigger business. wasn't pulled. I didn't pull the trigger. Mm-hmm. I would never point a gun at anyone and pull the trigger at them. Never. Someone just put a live gun in the bullet, a bullet that wasn't even supposed to be on the property. It just sounds like his version of Trump telling the story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Speaking about things he has no business speaking about because he doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. Yeah, it just sounds so strange uh, to come out. I don't. I, where do you go from that? Do you? you know? Well. I can uh, tell you where we go. Where do we go? Uh, Gelfand, interestingly enough. Oh. Mike Gelfand? Oh, I yes, just, Stretch. Did he just. What's happening? There he is. <laughs> hey, how you doing? And then. Uh, you know, this Baldwin thing is, it is very confusing. And uh, the thing is, it's been a bad, it's been a bad month, a couple of months. For Hello? First of, first of all, he was replaced on Saturday Night, Saturday Night Live by a guy who actually can imitate Trump. Yeah. <laughs> 
That is true. <laughs> One hit after another. Mm-hmm. But the whole yeah, concept I mean, of... how much more does this guy, is, do we expect him to endure? Right. Poor Alec Baldwin. God, to have the burden <laughs> you know, of not shooting life. somebody by shooting them. I don't understand this. And then we also have another Mike. That would be Mike Lennox. Oh, Mike Lennox online with us as well. Michael, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Well, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. We're just, uh, we'll wrap up real quickly as we're talking about the Alec Baldwin situation as it continues to unfurl. But, Stretch, what do you make of this? I mean, what could his possible motive be behind saying that he just pointed the gun, didn't pull the trigger, but yet still blaming that there was a live round in the gun? Where, where's the end game for this? Well, the end game, I guess, would be in, uh, in follow-up questions, but we have to wait for those. Mm-hmm. You know, we've, we've seen a little bit of the clip, right? I could. Yeah, but not the whole thing. So what you hope is that there are some follow-up questions, which is always, of course, uh, <laughs> winds up as a disappointing hope when you're dealing with the television news media. But you know, I, I would expect that we've seen the teaser, and and they almost, you know, George Stephanopoulos almost almost has to follow up with questions like, "What the hell are you talking about?" <laughs> Now is he going to blame it on a defective trigger that just by simply shaking the gun in a shooting motion was enough to set the 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 hammer off or it's do still something? Still a very I, yeah. very shaky argument. It would have to be a like someone would have had to sabotage the trigger. And like I said, it's a big coincidence that something like that would happen while you're pointing a gun jokingly at someone. Yeah. It, it just it doesn't make any sense, really. Bad timing. Very strange story. We'll watch that as it continues to unfold. Uh, we've got uh, Mike Lennox on the line now with us, promoting his new book, Carpenters, The Musical Le- Legacy, an inside look into one of the most popular duos of the 1970s. Mike, it's a good time to visit because, obviously, Christmas goes hand-in-hand hand with Carpenters when you think of uh, this time of year. Everybody loves the Carpenters Christmas album. And actually, I'm thinking, what a perfect segue uh, from, <laughs> from from Baldwin, well, essentially, uh, you know, at least accidentally killing somebody to the carpenters. Yay! Yeah, that's, uh, let's call transitions in the business, Mike. I'll help you with that. It's <laughs> I, I get it. Um, and uh, of, of course, uh, you know, when you think of uh, when you think of carpenters, uh, for the most part, for the last forty years or so, um, people have thought gloom, doom, disaster, tragedy. In fact, Apple Music um, in uh, two thousand eighteen had as their big uh, subhead as for all those who want to download music, the most tragic story in the history of popular music. Well, I would argue with that in so many ways. Yeah. Um, I happen to be working for Universal Music on the Carpenters' latest album at that particular point uh, and let them know, and within about three minutes that was gone. You can imagine Universal has some muscle, um, and that was gone. Uh, and, and, and actually that was our inspiration for doing this book, Carpenters, The Musical Legacy, all everybody's really talked about uh, since Karen's passing in 1983 from anorexia nervosa complications uh, is the sort of gloom and doom and, um, and you know, the tragedy of her death. And it's really sort of loomed over uh, really the great things that they did, was, which was the music. Um, and Christmas uh, played a huge role um, in the endurance of uh, Carpenter's uh, legacy, because uh, without that 1978 Christmas album, um, they were in a serious slump at that particular point. Um, uh, I don't think that we would be talking about them in the same way that we do now. 
Really? I mean, it was that, that, that was the low end of the bell curve just on the uptick with the Christmas album. Huge. Uh, they were coming off uh, their first album uh, that, uh, since Close to You, so it had been seven years, uh, that had wow. not gone gold. Uh, he was, he was uh, pretty badly addicted to Quaaludes at that particular point. She was in the throes of anorexia. Uh, disco was happening and it wasn't just disco, but you know, they were, you know, they had sort of run their course as most bands mm-hmm. do. And lo and behold, um, they had to do a couple Christmas specials for ABC. They'd always wanted to do Christmas album and kaboom out of the blue, even the label, uh, A&M didn't know uh, that this album was going to be so big. In fact, they didn't even press enough of the first pressing of that album uh, uh, the first holiday season, and it went gold by accident. Uh, and uh, you know about trade ads and music publications. They didn't even do a trade ad for it. Uh, it uh, the, the gold certification beat them to the punch. So the first trade ad is essentially, holy cow, the Carpenters went gold. Well, of course they went gold. Uh, and uh, it's, it's really an extraordinary album. What's great is that you catch us talking about that album on a really special day in that um, uh, on the iTunes U.S. music charts, I cannot believe this, uh, but Carpenter's Christmas Portrait um, at about 4 o'clock yesterday afternoon, and this is how carefully I watch the charts, for the first time ever uh, entered uh, the U.S. pop top 30 albums uh, being sold. Now, we're not talking holiday albums, as you know, as, 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 as a radio person. Uh, you know, they split them up into categories. Right. We're talking all albums. So, you know, like Adele's at number one. You know, it's like, you know, ABBA's at number, you know, whatever. We have, we have all, all these popular artists. And Carpenter's, uh, last I looked, was at number 28 of all albums sold in the United States. Um, and that's the first time that that's happened in about 50 years. Um, Holy years cow. Um, so that's pretty extraordinary. And it has to do with, uh, with Christmas and maybe, maybe a little to do with it. We, we've gotten a lot of press on this book. Um, and, uh, but, um, you know, long after the book goes away, uh, Carpenters and Christmas will remain, and uh, they always wanted to do it. And um, it's hard to believe that uh, Richard wrote um, the music for Merry Christmas, Darling, when he was 18 years old, mm. and he wrote it in 10 minutes. Uh, and uh, the story quickly behind Merry Christmas, Darling, is uh, his, uh, his college professor had written the lyric to his girlfriend in 1946. He threw it in a box and um, you know, all these years, all those years later, um, uh, twenty odd years later, he ha- he handed the lyric to Richard. Richard said, "I can do this." Ten minutes later, Carpenter comes downstairs from the rehearsal room and says, "Here you go." Wow. <laughs> uh, it sits in a box for another four years. Richard and Karen are on the road uh, uh, after promoting uh, "Close to You," and we've only just begun. Um, and they're getting lonely. They're they're getting um, uh, they're missing they're missing home. And they go into a studio, and three days later, they pull it out of a trunk. and And you'll appreciate this. Nine days after they were in the studio, that single was in stores uh, wow. in November. I believe it was in stores November twenty first, nineteen seventy. And yes, that's out of my head. I'm walking the dog right now. So anyway, but it's, it's a great song. There's you know so many great Christmas stuff. Do you think? You know, if it 
I'm trying to figure out the right way to frame this. When when Karen died, was there a sudden surge for Carpenter's music? Did albums that had fallen out of favor suddenly oh, they re-enter? And, and, well, I don't know. I know it happens now, but I don't know what it was like when Karen Carpenter passed away because that music was kind of antiquated and quaint. And now we're talking 83. We're talking the pop synth. We're talking coming off of disco. Was there still that... that um, feeling of nostalgia to lift their their albums uh, back into the charts yeah absolutely and uh, and uh, I don't know how old you are but uh, but I was uh, I was just old enough to be able to you know run to the record store and uh, and buy close to you when it came out it was 1970 and and then look at the billboard charts it was really fun to watch the ride um, and and um, uh, you, you have to understand that when you know that, and, and this is pushing it a little bit. But, but when Karen died, um, the country really mourned. It was, it was, it was the it was the weirdest thing. Um, and um, it, it, you know, it wasn't oh, you know, an, another drug overdose. And we were used to those by then. Um, this was this was someone um, who uh, people, whether or not they like they liked them or they they liked her. They, they really sort of took to their heart. So what had happened was um, their previous album actually had enjoyed a little bump. They had sort of had a bit of a comeback. But when she died, uh, the demand was massive. And, of course, they weren't ready with an album. Right. Um, and Rick, about two months, was forced to go back in the studio and forced to do two things that, um, that he didn't want to do. A, which, which was work with uh, lead vocals, which is a, essentially um, uh, those are leads that a singer records that the, the, the band can essentially play around them. Then they go in and finish them. Um, and Karen never wanted those out because they weren't perfect. B, um, lo and behold, uh, the, the country kind of went nuts. And when the album came out that, that holiday season, it went gold. Um, and... Uh, and that happens a lot, of course, as you know, right, um, right. when an artist passes. But in this case, but boy, when Karen died, like if, if you talk to people of a certain age, they can tell you where they were and how they felt the day that Karen Carpenter died. People really loved her, and, and honestly, it, uh, for good reason. She really, she was a funny, sweet, uh, really nice lady, uh, but also tough. Um, and uh, you know, we. We really try to get that through in the book. There's, there's a lot of misconceptions about carpenters, and and you know, our our, our biggest one that we try to clear are two things. One, that a um, that there would be no carpenters really without both Richard and Karen. You know, Richard arranged the songs, picked the songs, uh, really did did so much stuff, and we wanted to give him his due. And and number two, that that as short as her life was. Um, it, it, it was tragically short, but it really wasn't tragic in, 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 in many other ways. Uh, she was a really happy, funny, hilarious human being. And even up until the end, when you see pictures in the last few months, she's just laughing. And, and um, it's one of those things where, yes, yeah, she had some pretty bad stuff happen to her, but we all do. Um, and, you know, she, she was talented. She was rich. Uh, she was beloved. She knew it. Um, and we hope people think of carpenters different, differently after they read this this book. Um, and uh, and that, uh, quite frankly, you'll hear those Christmas songs uh, without a little great cloud, but maybe uh, 
get imbued with the holiday spirit. Had Karen not passed away then, do you think there would have been another cycle of popularity as we've seen? You just mentioned the fact that right now, ABBA's got an album back in the top 20, right? You were seeing resurgence of, of popularity of bands from the past and musicians and especially iconic voices kind of getting a renaissance period. Do you believe that had she stayed alive, their music would have uh, continued and that they would have, uh, have regained that level of, of popularity and fame again? Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, it's it's all what could have should land, um, but they were doing, um, you know, they were doing what um, Linda Ronstadt did with What's New, um, and that uh, Linda Ronstadt put out a series of three albums where she recorded with Nelson Riddle, and she, and they were um, they were American classic standards, primarily from the the forties, and um, and. Uh, they were huge hits. They went platinum uh, in the early '80s, and I think that uh, in Carpenters, uh, you know, was doing that uh, early on, as early as '75. Um, other artists had done it too. Cass Elliott did it. Um, but the point is, is that um, I, I think that that Karen would have been singing classic standards arranged by her brother. That she'd be doing stuff with Lady Gaga, or she'd be doing stuff with uh, would have been doing stuff with Tony Bennett. Um, I think that it would have gone that direction. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and and that's the that, that's the best I can gander. I think that they would have done things separately and apart, um, or together and apart. Um, and uh, instead, you know, Richard really, while he's done some solo projects and has a really good one coming up in January, a piano solo album. Uh, for the most part, I think they would have they would have worked together. He knew what to do with her voice better than anybody else, um, and uh, and also sort of really enjoyed being out of the spotlight, to be honest with you. He enjoyed doing, you know, the, the, uh, the other heavy lifting. Uh, but but I, I do believe we'd still be hearing them today. But frankly, it's all a crapshoot. There are a lot of great artists uh, uh, who have disappeared um, and uh, are incredibly talented. So I guess my answer is maybe. Maybe. All right. Well, I, I know, again, it's the woulda, shoulda, coulda, and the, the what-if scenario. I just... It always intrigues me to see when somebody falls, uh, you know, to death. Uh, obviously, John Lennon's coming to mind. What is it? Forty-two years now since his assassination. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, we just had the passing. What a fifth anniversary of Prince and David Bowie and so many others. And there's just this fondness, and they almost kind of forget that there were down times for these celebrities. What was some of the biggest surprises you uncovered digging into this book? Oh my God! I mean, so much stuff. Uh, well, I mean, let's let's take it back to the Chris, the Christmas album. Um, is that uh, that for the most part those Christmas songs, with the exception of "Merry Christmas, Darling" and and uh, and the song called "The Christmas Song," uh, "Chestnuts Roasting an Open Fire," and "Santa Claus Coming to Town," which were all done previous to the recording of uh, the, of that big album, "Christmas Portrait," um, uh, were pretty much um, all Karen, meaning the things that we like to give Richard credit for, he didn't do because he wasn't able. He was so, um, at that point, um, deep into his addiction to quaaludes that his hands were shaking. Um, I mean, he did do some work on those albums, but he was really, uh, he really had to hand things off to Karen. And of course, at that point, she was pretty sick. Um, and it's one of those things where, um, you know, we, uh, 
you know, uh, the, 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 the point is, is, at least with the Christmas stuff, is um, is that with, when, you know, my hope is that when, you know, you know when, when you hear that stuff, you, you can hear what she did. Um, the, and he credits uh, both the production and the album to her. In fact, he went to A&M and begged them and said, please, take, please, you know, essentially put my name in the footnotes, call this Karen Carpenter a Christmas portrait, which is really interesting. Wow. Yeah, why do you feel he did that? Just because she was really the shining point of that album and, and he was more behind well, the scenes? Well, because he... Absolutely. Because, well, and, and he was you know, really behind the scenes for the most part, but, it, but in such a huge way that, it, you know, that, that it, it really did take two. But for that album, he had to bring in people who, who did the job that he normally would do, which was arranging right. um, and and programming and um and a, a lot of other things um uh and uh, quite frankly um a little hint to your audience here um next year um if all goes well and this pandemic allows the the world to keep spinning uh, richard will get in the studio and he's going to fix um the two christmas albums there are two of them uh the second one he doesn't like at all um and but he was again because of demand. Um, it was the year after she died. Uh, he's going to essentially merge them, purge as much of the stuff that he feels didn't work, and put together one really sparkling album. And the best part about that is they're going to take all of the effects off of her voice. Um, and you know, in a couple in, in a couple tracks, there was reverb and there was stuff. And you know, his feeling is less is more. You know, you're picking this up to hear his beautiful arrangements and you're picking it up to hear Karen's voice. You know, when you sit down, you want to hear her sitting next to you singing. And that's what that album is going to sound like. Uh, it's really going to be something. And, uh, and the crap will be gone uh, to borrow from Mike Myers. <laughs> uh, but so, so that's something uh, uh, folks hopefully will, will see next year. So it's not this year, but because of COVID, he couldn't get into Capitol studios to mix it. We have to take a quick break. Can you stay on for another segment or do you have to get going? Sure, absolutely. No, my pleasure. Hold tight. We'll be right back. We've got more right here on The Family. And we are back with Stretch's picks. You know, Tom, uh, there's a lot of analysis that goes into these picks. Yeah. And uh, I highly recommend betting, of course. I always recommend betting. Yeah, absolutely. So who's winning this thing? The kitties, the pack, the bears, or the purple? None of the above. Those are all the teams in the division. I know that. Well, who's your pick? I'm going with Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. What? It's not a football team. I know, but it's a hell of an HVAC company. They do the most thorough system tune-up in the industry. Sabre is one of the largest Bryant dealers in the state, which means you save. Yep, I'm going with Sabre, Sabre and Bryant, doing whatever it takes to keep you comfortable. It's also the smartest time to call and schedule your furnace tune-up with Sabre. Get the most thorough tune-up in the industry from the people who keep my home comfortable. So, uh, one more thing, Tom. What's that? Visit SaberHeating.com. Tom Bernard talking with Brad Huckle and Michael Bilski of North American Banking Company. We've talked a few times over the years about how North American Banking Company has helped local businesses when they're ready for expansion. We love talking about the success of our customers. One example is suburban manufacturing in Monticello. They create innovative products that produce clean, dry air that is needed during the manufacturing process. We recently helped them expand their business. Moving into a new building gave them the space they needed to add new equipment and production lines. We were able to step in 
quickly and provide the financing they needed when they needed it. When we help businesses like Suburban Manufacturing with their expansion, it's beneficial for our customers, but their growth also creates new jobs in our community. So they make stuff that produces clean, dry air for manufacturing after working with Bilski. Do they breathe easier with their business belt? We certainly hope so, Tommy. And that's no hot air. Nice one. Why not bank with my banker? North American Banking Company, a better banking experience, member FDIC, and equal housing lender. As you know, my friend Mike Lindell has a passion to help everyone get the best sleep of your life. He didn't stop by simply creating the best pillow. Mike created the new Giza Dream bed sheets. They look and feel great, which means an even better night's sleep for me, which is crucial for my busy schedule. Mike found the world's best cotton called Giza. It's ultra soft and breathable, but extremely durable. Mike's Giza sheets come with a 60-day money-back guarantee and a 10-year warranty. The first night you sleep on the Giza sheets, you will never want to sleep on anything else. Giza Dream sheets come in a variety of sizes and colors. Mike's making a special offer for my listeners. You buy one set, get another set absolutely free. Go to MyPillow.com, click on the radio listener square, and use promo code TOM. There you'll find not only this amazing offer, but also deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the MyPillow mattress topper, MyPillow towel sets, and so much more. Call 1-800-516-5146. Use the promo code TOM. Go to MyPillow.com. Make sure you use the promo code TOM. We're back. This is The Family with Tom Bernard. Tom is off. He'll be back Monday, healthy and happy and ready to bounce through the shows with you again. Mm-hmm. Andy, why do you look like happy and healthy wasn't the exact answers <laughs> or uh, description you would have given for that? Hey, I never said he couldn't be healthy. <laughs> happy? That's a different thing. Our guest today is Mike Lennox. Uh promoting his his new book carpenters the musical legacy an inside look into one of the most popular duos of the 1970s we also have stretch online with a stretch were you a fan of the carpenters well not really but um you know i i certainly uh, understand their appeal one thing that struck me uh was uh, when i read i read some reviews about the book and uh one thing that that i thought was pretty interesting was the fact that we've only just begun actually just began with a bank commercial? (laughs) What's what's the story there? It's a story of a lot. It's a story of a ton of their songs. Uh, Richard was under pressure uh, really, really early on to find hits. And he would look anywhere, under the sofa. You know, he'd find it, you know, he'd find it almost any place. In this case, uh, uh, Close to You Exploded as a single the album wasn't finished. Uh, they were, um, you know, they were really desperate uh, to have a second single, which you needed uh, in order for your album to, to take off. And lo and behold, he went home. He's watching a sixty-second commercial for a bank called Crocker Bank. Uh, I'm from uh, New York, so we didn't have Crocker Bank there, uh, but they sure did in LA. Um, and uh, lo and behold, who's singing? Um, you know the chorus of we've only just begun um and it's paul williams well he had known paul oh, williams yeah, for yeah, a couple sure. reasons but paul williams um he'd, he'd heard paul williams first album which had already come out richard's is a record freak but paul williams also worked on the same lot that he did he worked on the a&m lot uh in the publishing division and lo and behold um a, a long time friendship 
uh, was made. But, but Richard would find things in the weirdest places. Like uh, there was this movie, Lovers and Other Strangers. It, was a, it turned out to be a big art film hit. It had been out for five months, for all we know, which is one of their hits shortly after We've Only Just Begun, um, and ended up winning an Academy Award. Just nobody covered it. The movie had been out for five months. Nobody thought to release the song as a single. And he just went, bingo, got another one. Um, you know, Merry Christmas, Darling, stuck in the trunk. Uh, so did he, did he stuff, take all the profits know? he made from We've Only Just Begun and deposit it in a Crocker bank account? <laughs> um, uh, you know, uh, after, 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 looking, after looking at what they did with, with their profits, I have a sneaking suspicion probably went into real estate. Uh, they were they were they were big into real estate. I, I honestly don't. Uh, but but who knows? You know, it would have been a nice thing for the Crocker Bank, wouldn't it? I, Mike, I've I've got I to ask you the the calling occupants of interplanetary craft. That first of all was just one of the weirdest songs on the planet Earth. Why would the Carpenters decide that's a song they needed to cover? Uh, uh, well, a, a couple of reasons. First of all, it's it's a great song, um, and uh, I grew up across the border in Rochester, New York, from. Uh, Toronto, uh, and uh, so uh, the the Clear Channel um, fifty thousand watt in Toronto uh, would be playing the original version by Clapu, mm-hmm. and so you know we would hear Canadian hits. And uh, my little brother actually had a big giant blow up of the Clapu album cover. Anyway, uh, the, the deal is this: is that um, Richard loved it. Richard is a if you go into his. Um, uh, viewing room, you'll see a giant vintage poster of the day the Earth stood still. Now, this was uh, this was maybe seven months before the release of Star Wars, um, and when they did it, they did it big. If you, I mean, if you, if you hear the recording of it, you know we're talking ninety that ninety singers, uh, giant chorale, uh, the Los Angeles Philharmonic. I mean, it's just like it, it, it's a huge production, and on top of it all. Richard had never intended it to be released as a single. Um, so what happens, of course, uh, you've got this, you've got this, this mega operatic thing that they never intended to release, and then Star Wars comes out. And he's like, I, it's a seven-minute song, you can't put it out. But, of course, you know, the, the, uh, the, the money people at A&M were like, we are putting it out. And lo and behold, <laughs> it turns out to be a modest hit in the U.S., but what happens? number one in Ireland, number nine in Australia. It turns out to be one of their biggest hits worldwide ever. And it's on every single um, major compilation of theirs. And it's considered to be one of their, you know, 10 greatest recordings. And it really is. It's, if, you, if you're lucky enough to ever hear it in surround, you can just sort of imagine it. Um, yeah, it's, it's extraordinary. It's giant orchestra and Karen singer butt off and, uh, it's it, it, it's really quite something, and oddly enough, it, it was one of those few sort of bumps uh, in the very very downtime. Uh, but but that explains that story. But uh, it, it, the people who you know have a streaming service, you know, just and who've never heard it, to just say you know, play Carpenter's Calling Occupants, and and you'll understand it. Uh, it doesn't doesn't sound anything like them, and who knows? It could have pointed the way to where they you know were going. Uh, it was a very moody blues kind of sound and there was a good reason for that the guy who d- conducted uh, days of future past which had nice and white satin on it also conducted the orchestra for um calling occupants for them and, and christmas portrait by the way same guy 
Very cool. Carpenters, the musical legacy, an inside look into one of the most popular duos of the 1970s. The book is out and available. We do have a link up for it on the show. Mike Sedoni Lennox, our guest. Thank you so much for coming in today, Mike, and spending some time with us. Hey, you're, you guys are a real pleasure. I'm, I'm going I'm to hear you listen to you guys online now. Uh, a great thing, and you have a great day and a great holiday. Happy holidays. Thank you so much. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I just, that song to me is one of them. When we started doing Darkness Radio, uh, and we would play weird paranormal-themed music, uh, mm-hmm. people kept asking for that song, and I played it, and Tim and I, I think, just sat there, and we almost let the entire play, the song play, and I'm like, what in God's <laughs> green earth are we listening to? This is the weirdest. It's just one of those 70s songs that's designed to be high when you listen to it. I, well, yeah, the band yeah. Klaatu, which was based on the alien invader from The Day the Earth Stood Still, that's who yeah. released it originally, and that was, a, like I said, that was a weird-ass song to begin with, and then just to hear Karen Carpenter, and she does a great song version of it, but I mean, it's just like... It's just weird. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You can't make it not no, I, weird. I really, uh, uh, being a child of the 60s and 70s, I... I thought all music was designed to be stone <laughs> Basically, in the 60s and 70s, it all was, yes. Oh, God. Especially if you watch that uh, Get Back deal, you can see as, as the Beatles are putting together these songs <laughs> and you see them playing with their instruments and, and trying mm-hmm. different things. And, and, of course, I will forewarn everybody out there, there is at least eight minutes in the six hours of video that you have to endure Yoko screeching. <laughs> oh. Yeah. I know. Plastic Ono band or prior to that? No, it was prior to that. It was uh, like in this, she literally gets the note that she just her her divorce has been finalized, and then like a week later, headline splash: John Lennon loves Yoko Ono in the news. Oh, so it's like at yeah. that at that part of their relationship. But while they're all in studio putting this together, there's a couple great scenes because all of a sudden you you know they would break into other songs and then they'd be split up talking about <laughs> stuff, and all of a sudden you just hear the. <laughs> Yeah. And Paul McCartney would just slowly turn that and thing. look like, what in God's green earth? See, if I were her, what I would do mm-hmm. is after all these years, I would put out, like, an opera album. <laughs> just sung perfectly. Perfectly. Yep, yeah, exactly. Confuse no everybody listening. Yeah, it just sounds exactly, yeah. Uh, like any any great opera singer. And Paul, everyone's like, what the hell's happening? Paul didn't have Linda sing. Yeah, that was before she was Linda McCartney, though, so he didn't quite trust the voice. Oh, okay, he yeah. didn't, because she didn't have McCartney well, as the last name yeah. yet? We've, uh, you know, anyone who's heard the uh, the uh, the voice of Linda McCartney, Yeah, <laughs> it's, uh, it, it, it's, let's just say that uh, if there was a, a battle of the, uh, of the bad singing between her and Yoko, it would have been a tie. Oh, yeah. No. Very close tie. Well, Yoko's bad on purpose, I think. Yeah. I think mean, she thinks she's, like, making a statement by being bad. Yeah. Whereas Linda just, she was just tone deaf. That's how it is. Yeah. I was reading an article uh, a year or two ago, and Paul McCartney was talking about after leaving the Beatles and he's starting up his own band. Mm-hmm. He was driving around in a van to colleges to try to get gigs. He mm-hmm. couldn't, they couldn't book gigs. They'd have to pull up into a college and he'd go into the rec center and be like, Hey man, who do I talk to about playing? And they're like, uh, "You're Paul McCartney," <laughs> and they still had trouble. And they were huh. selling out these little auditoriums. But that's how he started, literally in a van driving from college to college to try to perform. Yeah, well, I suppose it was probably hard for him because he's so tied to the Beatles. And it's like, what's this Wings thing? What, yeah, what are that's you doing? True. Like, why aren't where's where's John? Where's Ringo? And well, where's wasn't, George? Paul was kind of probably, I think, at that time still. Probably perceived as the main reason the Beatles broke up. Mm-hmm. So maybe there was some heat there. People were mm. pissed off. I don't know. 
Well, I, I know there's one team out there who's looking pretty excited this week, hoping for their first win. Detroit against Minnesota, Stretch. What do you, <laughs> what do you think? Are we going to give them that gift for the season? I think it's a. Well, you know, I was kind of surprised. The uh, the Vikings are favored only by seven points. No. And uh, considering the Vikings are right in the thick of the wild card race, and uh, Detroit, you know, they they had a big celebration after they tied. You know, that was like, like, hey. We didn't lose. You know, we tied. <laughs> they're not the worst team in the NFL. I will say that. They they're, they're, they have the worst record, but they're not the worst team. They're they're better than probably three other teams. And uh, the line tells you that it is somehow conceivable that Detroit could win, but frankly, I don't know how. Well, and if they win, it's probably going to be by one or two points in the last minute of the game, don't you think? Well, yeah, exactly. Both teams are, you know, are missing their their uh, their their best running backs. So I think it'll be a low scoring game. I that's, I'm probably going to go with the under. But you know, you can't. There've been so many wild upsets. Well, there are always wild upsets every year. But you know, um, seven points. It's not a not a big deal. And that's just what I look at. Is the, what is the point spread telling me? telling me that, uh, as the saying goes, they got a chance. <laughs> that they do. This is, uh, I don't know, as a, a Vikings fan now going on 30 years, it's, uh, you know, I grew up in Chicago with the Bears. and then Oh, yeah. You... I used to live in Chicago, and the Bears were always that, that great phenomenon, a uniquely Chicago phenomenon where right. everyone sort of embraced the idea that they were going to lose forever. Right. Much like but the Cubs. Here, people expect that people are Vikings fans, for example, they have much higher expectations. Around here, year after year, we expect and almost demand that the Vikings be mediocre. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, you go with what you know, right? <laughs> yeah. Do you blame Mediocrity has been good for us. Do you blame it on coaching at this point still? I, I just feel like our coaches have always been just okay. And nobody stood out in, in a very long time. And I'm thinking even back to Jerry Burns. I can't think of anybody that's really, you know, Denny Green showed some passion at the beginning, but then just seemed to lose faith. And and yeah. from that point on, I just haven't felt like we've had a coach that, yep, this is the guy that's going to get us there. No, Vikings fans, uh, the, the old Vikings fans will tell you that they they haven't had a great coach since Bud Grant. Right. And mm-hmm. uh, that's kind of a sad statement. Um and Bud was kind of a charlatan in his own way, but the, they did they did manage to make it to the Super Bowl at least, losing four times, but they made it. Now, of course, fans would just love to see the team go to the Super Bowl and get the crap beat out of them. <laughs> um, and and but it's not going to happen this year. We know that. No, it seems like it seems like the the uh, the Vikings are kind of dedicated to mediocrity, especially this year. They've got. Kirk Cousins, who um, has the ability to mm-hmm. throw touchdown passes all over the field, of course, with two great receivers, or at least one and a half. But uh, they, they uh, I don't know, Zimmer hasn't shown much interest in exploiting that talent. No, it's, all, it's, it's been very hesitant for 20, 25 years to try to win a game. Just let's get ahead and, and try not to lose it from this point forward. And I know that sounds yeah. cliche, but my God, I don't see any change in that ever. Up the no, middle, up the middle, that's throw. The yeah, I mean that's the beauty of it. Uh. They're consistent. <laughs> they got that going for them. <laughs> they got that going. What other games excite you this week? 
Well, um, you know, there, there, there are always some, some tremendous uh, games out there. Um, and uh, probably tonight's game might be one of the more interesting ones with Dallas playing in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Dallas opened as about a four-point favorite, but everybody's on Dallas right now. And, of course, New Orleans has a lot of injuries, and they're still piling up. Uh, and New Orleans has they – they actually don't have a quarterback. So I've I have found over the years that if you don't have a quarterback, it's very hard to win. <laughs> and uh, you know they they've got Taysom Hill now. He's going to try being quarterback, but he's he's certainly not a quarterback. He's he's basically you know about the only time that he was ever used as a quarterback efficiently was was in the wildcat formation, where it was and and that was pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. He would take the snap. And then he he would uh, run the ball from the two-yard line into the end zone. And the amazing thing is that time after time, game after game, opponents didn't seem to understand the fact that he was incapable of throwing a two-yard pass <laughs> and that he would never hand it off. Right. They ran the same damn play every time. Now, I think defenses are kind of catching on to that. And New Orleans' defense is good, so... Uh, I, I I just think that it could. There's another one. It could be a low-scoring game. The total is high, 46. But I think this game has the potential to be uh, probably almost existentially boring. And uh, <laughs> but I don't think the public sees it that way. And Dallas is still kind of like America's team. So uh, I don't know about that. It's the the thing is every almost every game you look at, especially big games, games that seem like they have a lot of potential. There are huge injuries. You know the the, uh, the expanding the season was was never going to be a good idea, and uh, it, it's funny. I looked at I was looking the other day at the uh, I'm, uh, like like you know any any true red blooded American. Of course, I'm I'm in a fantasy football league, right? And virtually everybody who got drafted in the first round is injured. Yeah, mm-hmm. injured so, or not uh, doing well. Yeah, I've had Mahomes well, yeah, and Brady, and both of them have been very disappointing for the last three weeks for me. Well, except for Mahomes, the one week I benched him because he was he was not doing well. He scored fifty what fifty five points in fantasy. It's insane. Well, of course, yeah. And, and let's face it, that happened because you benched him. Yeah, I know. I've already <laughs> reached out to Kansas City, promising not to play him again this season for a, a little stipend on the side, a little side action, if you will. <laughs> well, I, I, you know, we. Uh, we all enjoy a little side. You know, that's, <laughs> that's that's the beauty of it. Um, but but it is it is amazing. I I I, I did like I say. I mean, mostly mostly what happens is that the top running backs all get injured. Mm-hmm. All, all, like McCaffrey, for example, who was probably the first pick in most drafts. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, of course, McCaffrey's gone now. He's gone for the year. Um, if maybe the second guy picked. Um, was uh, was was Henry, and of course, boom, he's out for the mm-hmm. year. Uh, and so the you know, the I guess the the what what that tells you is that if you're in a fantasy league, start drafting running backs in about the eighth round because they're all going to get hurt. Yeah. yeah. So there's there's no point in it. Well, I have Cook, and now I have to take bench him <laughs> because he's not going to play this Sunday. <laughs> Right. Oh gosh, I know. And we don't know how long he'll be out. He's been out before, and now he's out again. So that's that in itself, you know, is is never a good thing. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. with those kind of shoulder injuries. At least injuries. the Vikings have. Yeah, exactly. Now the Vikings at least have a. They do have a backup running back who isn't terrible. Yeah. 
Oh, and Edward Hilaire is back in now. Oh, yeah, he's back. Well, he comes and goes. Yeah. Well, I'm hoping that this is the time they start picking things back up again. I'm a fan. I'd I'd like to see Mahomes get back into the Super Bowl, Uh, although I've got the the smart money on Brady winning another Super Bowl with uh, Tampa Bay. But I don't know. That's even starting to look pretty sketchy. Well, everything's sketchy, but they've got probably a little – you'd say they've probably got a little better chance than anyone else at this point. That's right. I was surprised in Vegas when they won – I went up and looked at the line, and it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't. They weren't favoring them very much. I think I put down a thirty-dollar bet to win like five hundred, and I thought that was kind of strange coming off of a really good showing at the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. So when did you make that bet? What was Legitimately that? after the game ended, I went up and made a bet. It was one of the the bets that they had for next year. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, that is interesting. Yeah. I've... Um, uh, basically, you know, future book bets of, of all kinds are, are mostly sucker bets because there's so much juice involved there. Right. So, um, but that doesn't mean I don't make them. Right. <laughs> well, in 30 bucks, I thought it's worth make. a shot. Right. I've yeah, made, so, I've made a so lot of money on sucker bets during the Super Bowl. <laughs> I, I, my favorite bets are going in for the uh, two-point conversions, the safeties. I was, was yeah. one game like seven, eight years ago, the first play of the game is a safety. Uh, and I had a buddy with me who bet insanely high on the safety just for shits and grins and ends up turning around and freaking out in front of me because he couldn't believe that that was the first play of the game. Yeah, that's that's one in a million there. It is. But they did, I think, well, right made now, safeties Tampa three Bay years is, in a row. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tampa Bay is the, Tampa Bay is the, fa- the, 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 the sort of weak favorite mm-hmm. in the future book bets. They're a plus 550. So that means if you bet ten dollars, you'd get fifty-five dollars back if mm-hmm. Tampa Bay um, wins the Super Bowl. But if you're a true Vikings fan, uh, of course, you know you got to bet the purple, right? I guess every they're, time they're I bet plus against 8, them, yeah, wow, plus eight thousand, holy eight thousand! Wow, I might just put yep. one dollar down just to see what happens. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, why not? Um, one dollar gets you what? Uh, well, it doesn't get you a lot, but still. It's uh, yeah. Why not? I, I um, uh, you know, if you if you want, and and that's what of course a, a ton of people do in Las Vegas. They they just bet the home team. Um, it's part of the the whole tradition, and that's 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 one reason, of course, in why in Vegas, uh, you can bet that the Raiders. So they're getting a lot of money in the future book bets on the Raiders, and. Uh, Fortunately, I don't think they'll have to pay out on the Raiders. But then again, the Raiders are the same price as the Vikings. Wow. Lots of uh, surprises. I bet, Go ahead. I bet uh, the, the future book bet that I, that I made that I kind of like is, is I bet on um, Tucker Carlson to be the Republican nominee <laughs> for a president. I think that's actually probably one of the safest bets to make this season. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, well, I look at it as an emotional hedge, you know. Yeah. <laughs> if a, if, at least this way, if a white nationalist wins and I have to have to take cover, um, hey, at least I can make some money on it. <laughs> I know well, that's kind of cynical, though. No, not at all. It's just looking forward with objectivity. Yeah, well, that's the, that's the way I see it. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I, I I bet uh, that that bet was uh, plus that bet was plus six thousand. <sighs> Jeez. So I, I bet four dollars to win two hundred and forty. Yeah, you can't go wrong. That seems like a good turn. No, it's that's a, 
easy enough bet. I'm, I'm, I expect to cash on that one. What do you, uh, before we have to head into break here, what's your uh, upset of the week? Who do you think uh, is really looking to take a fall unexpectedly? Hmm, good question. Because um, I, haven't, I haven't made my picks yet, um, but I've, I've certainly thought about that. Uh, just, looking over the, just looking over the numbers here. And uh, you know, we know one thing we know is that is that this year anybody anybody can win. You know, we've we've already had a team that was what uh, minus seventeen lose. So uh, if that can happen, anything can happen. Um, I don't know. I I think that um, you know, looking at the at the bigger numbers here, um, um, the Bears could win at plus seven and a half. Yeah. Uh, because uh, Arizona's. They're still banged up. There, we don't know if Kyler Murray's going to play. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and I and I, I definitely would take the seven and a half. Now, maybe that's because I, I'm sort of a long-suffering Bears fan, having <laughs> lived there. But uh, you know, once a Bears fan, the thing goes never a Bears fan. But I don't see it that way. <laughs> so, Neither do so I. So I might I might look at that one. Um, and uh, I don't know if for some reason. Um, for some reason, uh, the uh, the Giants are a four point underdog at Miami. I don't think mm-hmm. Miami's a respectable team. I mean, that's not that wouldn't be a huge upset. A huge upset would be, oh, say Jacksonville beating the Rams. Jacksonville's plus thirteen. Yeah, what with a two and nine record going into a seven and four? But again, it's still something that. Very well yeah. could go down. Yeah, Jacksonville's got some surprises. I just don't know if they're capable of delivering them at this point in the season, or are they just going to go for the slide and hope for a good uh, pick next year? Yeah, it's a, it's a little too early for teams to start tanking. But um, although there are some teams like, uh, well, like Detroit or Houston or the Jets where it's they, they start tanking in the exhibition season. <laughs> oh, my God, I can't believe Houston – this year at all that is just i mean not that they've ever really impressed me but this is just uh, an insane season uh I, you know i've been watching as our boys jump through trying to pick any team anybody that's playing against houston to replace any of their injured players and watching them score like crazy in fantasy well houston it it, it kind of looked for a while there like uh they were gonna be able to uh trade their uh their sidelined quarterback who, as the announcers always say, is having off-field problems. Mm. Um, it looked like they were going to trade him to uh, to Miami, and uh, that would have been a great thing for them. But I think it was the forty-second allegation of rape that turned Miami off. <laughs> yeah, these guys aren't real quick to pick up on a on a trend, are they? <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's it's football. It's football, and and you can't uh, to suggest that there's any sort of thing such as ethics. I mean, it's a sport where you're trying to uh, basically uh, cripple your opponent. So uh, try, uh, looking at a, at a higher degree of ethics, no, Deshaun Watson, eventually someone, what will happen is eventually, could even happen this year, probably not, but eventually, you know, he'll catch on with another team. And then what happens is the, whatever team winds up with him will say that, they're genuinely impressed by how how awful and apologetic he feels and how dedicated he is to remaking his image. <laughs> exactly. 
We have to take a break. Perry Richardson on tap next from Firehouse and Striper. And he's actually ready. So. Great. We'll, we'll go to him when we come back from yep. the quick break. Stay tuned. We've got more coming your way here on The Family.